0: We're on page 7 of the Bible, and this morning's reading is taken from Genesis chapter 5, and we're reading from verse 1 to 32 on page 7. From Adam to Noah. This is the written account of Adam's line. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them, and when when they were created, he called them man. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Adam lived 930 years, and then he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father of Enosh. And after he became the father of Enosh, Seth lived for 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Seth lived for 912 years and then he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he became the father of Kenan. And after he became the father of Kenan, Enosh lived for 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enosh lived for 905 years, and then he died. When Kenan had lived for 70 years, he became the father of Mahalalal. And after he became the father of Mahalalal, Kenan lived for 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Kenan lived for 910 years, and then he died. When Mahalalal had lived for 65 years, he became the father of Jared and after he became the father of Jared, Mathalalel lived for 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Mathalalel lived 895 years and then he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he became the father of Enoch, and after he became the father of Enoch, Jared lived for 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Jared lived 962 years and then he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived for 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and then he was no more, because God took him away. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he became the father of Lamech. And after he became the father of Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Methuselah lived 969 years, and then he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he had a son. He named him Noah and said, He will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. After Noah was born, Lamech lived 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Lamech lived 777 years and then he died. After Noah was 500 years old, he became the father of Sheham, Ham, and Japheth. This is the word of the Lord.
1: So. Uh, Genesis chapter 5, page 8 of the Pew Bibles, and the outline on the back of the uh, service sheet. And you'll see that this particular chapter, chapter 5, is a bridge between the creation and the flood between Adam and Noah. And you must have thought, gosh, this is going to be boring. <laughs> well, it isn't, actually. You know, it's actually very interesting because it's about people. And all of you are interested in people. Some of you much more than others. You certainly can matter very well about people. And that's what it's all about. It's all about people. And there's something very definite, interesting and important to learn. And that is that people matter to God. And what's more interesting to know than that is that the God of creation, the God of this great universe is interested in individual people, not the generality of people. He's interested in individual people like you and me and that is anything but boring. So let's have a look at the general uh, pattern of the passage and then I want to look at uh, two historical problems which are glaringly obvious, and uh, the problem that is, not the answer, Um, and three theological or very practical points of learning. Now did you notice there's a constant pattern through here? It's uh, spelt out on the outline. We have um, how it's got this very definite structure, For each one mentioned, it says how many years he lived before his successor was born, how many years he lived after his successor was born, and then how many years he clocked up when he died. So, for example, Seth, in verse 5, was 105 when he became a dad. He then lived for another 870 years, making him 912 when he died. Although it's usually uh, mentioned... Um, If other brothers and sisters were born, it doesn't name them as the kind of writer is wanting to stress the line of succession from Adam to Noah. The line of promise, the purpose to which God is moving. However, before we can draw out the lessons to take home with us and to mull over and to perhaps apply to our life, we need to tackle Two preliminary historical problems that, as I say, we will have all spotted. The problems are these the first is that the total period of time from Adam to Noah adds up to about 2,000 years, which appears to be too short from what we know of archaeology, anthropology, geology, and all theologies. And the second problem is the opposite one: that the individual lifespans appear to be a trifle on the long side. After all, how many people do we know who live anything like 969 years? Even our oldest member is only just over 10% of the way towards that. So let's face these and see what uh, we can uh, see if we can get any mileage on understanding them. The total length of the period. If, as we know, that Abraham lived around 2000 BC, that would place the flood at about 2300 and, about, and creation about 4000 BC. Indeed, Archbishop Usher in the 17th century put it at 404 BC, looking back through these genealogies. He was a Cambridge Hebraist, meant he studied Hebrew, and he figured out that creation took place in the week of the 18th to the 24th of October, 4004 BC, with Noah created on October the 23rd at 9 (laughs) a.m., to which the uh, rather sarcastic commentator on that says, closer than this, as a cautious scholar, the Vice-Chancellor of Cambridge University did not venture to commit himself. Now <laughs> well, the guy is clearly not stupid, but he made an assumption. You see that? Uh, well, I'll come to that in a minute. The thing is that we know that the city of Jericho was inhabited seven and eight thousand years BC. That's kind of like three or four thousand years before Adam is supposed to have been created. There is a problem. I'm sure you see it. But is there a solution? Well, Usher had made a very reasonable assumption. But if he studied the Bible just a little bit more carefully, he would have realized that that assumption was wrong. You see, he assumed that the genealogies were complete that they went father, son, grandson, etc. But they don't. They don't always in the Bible, and they certainly didn't in the ancient Near East of the time. Now if you take Matthew 1, which is the genealogy of Jesus, in that, in verse 8 of Matthew 1, you have Joram begat Uzziah, or Joram the father of Uzziah. But we know, in fact, from Kings and Chronicles, that Joram was the great-great-grandfather of Uzziah. It actually went, Joram, Ahaziah, Joash, Amaziah, Uzziah. Now, what the Hebrews did, was what their neighbors did, was that they picked out the key figure in a family line, but they didn't necessarily mention every single one. So in Matthew 1, it's stylized between Abraham and David, between David and the exile, and the exile and Jesus. There are 14 individuals or dynasties named. They stylized it. And to them it was perfectly acceptable because the purpose was to link in the case of Matthew, Abraham to David, and David to Jesus. So since we know that they did that sort of thing, we don't have to assume that what we have here is strictly father to son. So that means we've no idea how many years there are between Adam and Noah. Adam can be pushed back many, many, many tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of years, if necessary. And the second problem, though, is that the ages appear to be too long. How do we explain the very large numbers? Well, it's a case of looking at the options and making a choice, or probably more wisely, suspending judgment until more information comes to light. There are three possibilities. Some have tried to, in some way, reduce the numbers. Some say, well, maybe they should really be months and not years. Maybe uh, there's some mistake in translating from Babylonian to Hebrew. I don't think there's much mileage in that, but what I do think there is mileage in is if you look at um, a thing called the Sumerian king list, Sumer is a part of, um, uh, in, in modern day, Iraq. It's a very, very old civilization and they have king lists. And what they realised was that they knew, they were, aware of a, they were aware of many floods, but a particularly catastrophic one a long time back in their history. And they had the names of about eight kings before the flood and many more kings after the flood. So what they did was they gave ages to the kings before the flood. The oldest, I think, is 43,000 years old. Um, And then the ones after the flood are considerably younger. And interestingly, in the margin of one of these Sumerian king lists, they have, as I've put down here, um, a little kind of gloss, which is 10 times 60, or actually it should be 10 times 600 and 10 times... uh, 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 six, 10 times 6 and 10, yeah, 10 times 60 and 10 times uh, 6. That's right on the list. Sorry, uh, my scribbled notes look differently. So you've got a multiplier of 600 before the flood and a multiplier of 60 after the flood. Now, if you do a bit of a arithmetic and you divide 600 into 43,000, for example, you get 72. After the flood, somebody reigns for supposedly 900 years. You divide that by uh, 60. And you get 15. They all seem to be quite plausible. That's what they're doing. They're trying to fill up the time gap. They know there's a big time gap, and that's the way they went about doing it. So, possibly, is this, is what, is this what the Hebrews had done? If you try dividing uh, by five, then uh, all the ages between Adam and Lamech, the age at which they became dads, range from 13 to 36 but you do end up with some fairly high deaths of 180 and 190. But possibly the next uh, proffered solution might work in combination to that, because others have suggested that it's not always a name of an individual, it's actually the primary, kind of the most notable or the founder of that particular dynasty of people, they're listed, but their descendants are not always listed until a new dynasty turns up. And again, I think there's some mileage in that. After all, in English history, we talk about the Plantagenets who ruled in the 12th and 13th century, you know, Richard the Lionheart and co. We think of the Tudors of the 16th century. We think of the Stuarts of the 17th century and the Windsors of the 20th and 21st century. Maybe there's something in that, but the problem is that Enoch and Noah are seen as individuals, not dynasties, right up until the end of their very long lives. So we're probably looking for a combination of solutions, if there is one. And there is a third possibility that maybe some of them did actually live that long. We know very little, even today, about the aging process. It's not inconceivable that people could have lived that long. Notice especially that nobody after the flood lived anything like the length of time as the people before it. So some have suggested that maybe something happened at the flood that changed things radically. We know that radiation shortens life. Maybe some say there was very much more water vapour up there that shielded the, the, the earth more effectively from the sun's rays so that we could have lived a longer lifespan. And then the flood came and it was never replaced and the dangerous effects of radiation have reduced our lifespan accordingly. But again, there's a problem with that. they dug up quite a lot of people from the past, but they all seem to live about the same length of time as we do. So, we're clearly very short on information. We certainly couldn't be dogmatic. If you've uh, recently retired and you want to do something really nerdy, um, I suggest you buy this book on the reliability of the Old Testament by Kenneth Kitchen. He He died last year. He was a professor of Egyptology at um, Liverpool University, and didn't, I think, get the recognition that he deserves. He, he's the source for the Sumerian lists, and he concludes all this. And doubt uh, all that all this is, and doubtless will remain pure speculation, and as such, it should be treated with all due reserve, but offered as a stimulus to further thought. So, if you want to become an expert on the archaeology of the Old Testament in your retirement, I would commend that to you. So, the answer is we don't know. But they're the best offerings. I think probably a combination of one and two are the most likely. Well, we've seen that there's a very stylized pattern throughout in the way in which uh, each new generation is introduced. But there are three interruptions. I don't know if you noticed that or whether you'd switched off by the time you got to the interesting bits to the pattern that there is. And there are lessons to learn from these three interruptions. First of all, Adam and Seth, they break the rhythm, verses 1 to 5. We have the great truths of Genesis 1 and 2 recalled here. God created man in his own image or likeness He created man, male and female, and he blessed them and they reproduce. But how differently the creation of Adam is to the creation of Seth. Adam is said to be created in the likeness of God. Seth is said to be created in the likeness of Adam, in man's image. Now true, Seth was still, like his father, created in the image of God. He was rational, social, moral, creative, and spiritual. But he was also created in the image of man. Adam's rebellion meant that somehow all future men would be born like him, tainted, distorted by that original sin. So all our children are born in the image of God, and yet at the same time, they're born in sin. If you think back to spitting image, they all bear the likeness of the real thing, of the person they're supposed to represent it, so supposed to represent. But it is, of course, a distorted likeness, and that's somehow like us. We bear the image of God, but it is now a distorted image, a marred image. A friend of mine on becoming a father for the first time said it left him in no doubt about the doctrine of original sin. I'm not sure he was talking about his experience or the child's behaviour. But either way it doesn't matter. That is, We all recognise that some human beings are capable of really behaving very badly. Our experience of life bears out that observation that we all are a curious mixture. We have enormous potential for good and enormous potential for evil. Now, man is not totally bad as cynics would like to believe. However evil he is, he's still capable of doing good. Hitler seemed to be behave very nicely to his pet Alsatian when you look at it in the films. But neither are human beings basically good, with just a few flaws that a good education will iron out, as humanists far too optimistically believe. The nicest people can do the nastiest things. The Christian view of man is neither unduly optimistic, like the humanists, nor unduly pessimistic, like the cynics. The Christian view has a biblical balance, a balance which is expressed, I think, very clearly by C.S. Lewis at the end of one of his Narnia stories, where Christ the Lion Aslan says this of the human children. You come from the Lord Adam and the Lady Eve, and that is both honour enough to erect the head of the poorest beggar and shame enough to bow the shoulders of the greatest emperors in earth. Individuals really do matter to God, even the lowest, but even the greatest, like all of us. Are sinful. The next interruption comes from Enoch, verses 21 to 24. Enoch alone of those listed has fellowship. He walked with God. Neither did he die. He was, we might say, beamed up. Notice his life was different from all the others. He alone, it seems, saw that there was more to life than really just what goes on on the socio-physical level. He alone saw that, good as they were, there was more to life than simply to work or to have a wife or a family, or friends. All those things are good, but there's more. He alone saw that over and above all these things, there was God. And so he must have repented of his inbred rebellion and came to put God at the centre of his life. He alone seems to have discovered life as it was meant to be lived. That is, life to be lived with God. He walked with God, we read. He discovered the best way to live, the way we were intended to live. But not only was his life different, but his death was different. He just disappeared. God just took him. He was translated to heaven. Now that's what would have happened to Jesus had he not been crucified. That's what would have probably happened to Adam if he had not sinned. There's a lovely connection there, isn't there? If we walk with God in this life, death is nothing to fear. God just takes us we disappear to be with him. I hope we can all know that assurance of eternal life that comes from walking with God in fellowship in this life. And the third interruption is at the end of the passage with Lamech and Noah verses 28 and 29. Lamech's comment on the birth of Noah, whose name sounds like the Hebrew word for relief, although God has uh, acted in judgment in uh, cursing the land, he will have mercy on them as they seek to derive a living from it. Perhaps a prediction that although the land will be flooded, They will still be able to work it and live from it. So there we are. We've seen, I believe, that individuals, even fallen individuals, still matter to God. Good, as in the case of Enoch, can still come out of them. We've seen that God is the Lord of history. He has his purposes, and they will triumph. We've seen that how God always has his people. Fools may reject him, but he's able to work through his people. Today, of course, we are the people of God. Today, he has chosen us, and he wants to work through us. If, like Enoch, we see that, we see that there's more to life than we can put a cash value on, then he'll use us. And we've seen that the reign of that death has over man. However long they lived, with the exception of Enoch, They all died. Enoch, though, is a pledge of God that death can be defeated, but only by him we can't defeat it. Only God can let us beat death. They had to look forward to see how he would do it. We today, this morning, look backwards, to the cross and to the resurrection and know how he did it and how by faith we can reap the benefits of that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what looks like an unpromising passage we have uh, seen what you have been communicating and we thank you that you do love and care for us as individuals we have an understanding of our distorted nature we have a hope of how you can for us defeat death and how in between we are to walk with you we pray that we might mull over these things that we might digest them, appreciate them and live by them. Amen. We look back.